The federal government has long struggled to compete with the private sector to hire cybersecurity nerds. Some agencies have and use special hiring programs, though. Other agencies are falling behind. For an update, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And Justin, what agencies are starting to feel some, let's say, pressure when it comes to cyber hiring? Yeah, the Justice Department is actually coming out and saying that they are struggling with cybersecurity talent hiring. And part of the issue is that some other agencies have better hiring programs, better pay and things like that. And this all came out as part of the department's comprehensive cyber review. And it ran down, you know, the really unique role that DOJ has in uh, investigating and prosecuting cybercrime. But even that reputation can't really help them overcome some big compensation and challenges and other issues. The number of cyber specialized attorneys at DOJ has actually remained roughly the same for the past 15 years. And in general, DOJ's attorneys are paid less than their private sector counterparts across the department. But this new report notes that the disparity is particularly acute with cyber specialized lawyers where they can jump to the tech sector and command significant salary increases. Part of the issue, this report says, is that there are other hiring authorities at other agencies that they are now competing with that are basically leading to this personnel attrition. Yeah. What are some of these programs? I guess maybe CISA has one of them. That's right. The uh, well, the Department of Homeland Security has its new cyber talent management system. And CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, is using that. It allows DHS to offer salaries as high as the vice president's. In some cases, that's about two hundred and twenty-five thousand ish dollars. So the Defense Department also has had the Cyber Accepted Service since 2016 that allows DOD to hire cyber experts outside of the traditional civil service system, again at much higher salaries. So this DOJ review really clues in on on how it and other agencies have to compete with these these much better hiring programs. Yeah, so you have the government competing with itself. I imagine this is something the White House is starting to pay attention to. Yeah, interestingly enough, this also came up at a hearing last week before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform held a hearing on the future of federal work. And Office of Personnel Management Director Kieran Ahuja says OPM wants to work with Congress to develop a government-wide cyber workforce plan that, quote, puts agencies on equal footing when it comes to competing for cyber talent. And also, particularly in the cyber and IT fields, we really do suffer um, in this area around competition, and we've created competition within and among our agencies. This Congress passed a, a particular cyber talent program for DHS that has now become sort of kind of the king of programs within the federal government, and other agencies are having to compete with that. And that's Kieran Ahuja, director of OPM. Jason Miller, the deputy director for management at the White House Office of Management and Budget also testified, and he also hit out against specialized programs that gives one agency an advantage over another in the hiring market. If we look at things like healthcare workers or cyber and tech or other areas, we do need enough flexibility to be competitive, and we also need to do it in a way that's consistent across the federal government. When we have different authorities and different approaches to similar types of jobs and similar types of skills in one agency for another. It creates an imbalance that harms the federal government overall and makes us less competitive in the labor market.
and that's Deputy Director for Management at OMB, Jason Miller. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And isn't cyber hiring kind of a challenge for everybody, though? I mean, industry complains a lot about it. Yeah, that's right. The uh, The White House actually hosted a cyber workforce summit with several uh, industry representatives last week, along with several federal departments. And officials pointed to more than 700,000 open cybersecurity jobs across the United States. So it's a problem for, for everyone, government, industry, academia whoever. It's difficult to get exact numbers on the deficit of cyber professionals specifically within the federal government. That's because there are actually some big gaps in cyber and IT workforce data. But officials like Miller, he actually said at the hearing last week that in general, agencies just need to hire more, especially to implement things like zero trust. Well, I guess they would hire them if they could pay them more. And we started talking about the Justice Department. Did their own review give any ideas that they'd like to implement to help with that gap? Yeah, it ultimately calls on DOJ to develop a hiring and retention strategy uh, for the future. And, And part of that is just educating hiring managers and others on existing incentives and authorities that they can take advantage of. Today, they might not have the cyber talent management system, but there are certain direct hire authorities that they could use to pay folks in IT management at special rates. They can also offer recruitment and relocation bonuses for certain hard-to-fill positions. And then there are also other tools like relocation pay, college loan repayment programs, and leave accrual programs that they can use to just add incentives to folks that they're looking to hire. So DOJ is looking at tools that they do have, even though it might not be cyber accepted service or CTMS. So the idea that the Justice Department alone is looking to help itself kind of amplifies what Jason Miller and Kieran Ahuja were saying is simply that we need a comprehensive government wide approach or else agencies are all doing their own thing. And the job market is smart enough to shop where the good deals are. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear that across the board, hiring managers at agencies need more tools to help them out in order to attract these types of candidates. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. 
And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might've had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, uh, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense. And I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. 
I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.